0: What's up, Liquid Church? How y'all doing? Welcome to God of Miracles, part five. Yeah, you've got a praise. And while we're doing that, welcome our campuses and those watching online. Um, This has been a phenomenal series that we have been walking through for the past few weeks. My name is Nithin. I serve as one of the pastors here. And, you know, Pastor Tim, he's been our lead pastor and our lead tour guide. Uh, Him and his wife, Colleen, they went to Israel back in January, and they brought back all of this phenomenal video and all these new teachings and a real impartation that we have really been benefiting from. How many of y'all are enjoying this series? Yeah, absolutely. It has been great. You know, uh, last week, Pastor Tim took us to the Sea of Galilee and uh, we were learning all sorts of really interesting facts about that. One of the things that we learned is that it can start out really calm and chill, then all of a sudden a wind can go through it, the the waters get turbulent, and all of a sudden there's a storm, and these rogue waves will capsize boats, and it's very similar to our own lives, right? Things are kind of calm, and they're kind of tracking along, then all of a sudden a rogue wave will hit us, throwing us upside down, and then we have a choice. We can respond in fear or in faith, and we learned that both Fear and faith have the same definition, which is believing what hasn't happened will happen. And we have that choice to choose. Are we going to respond in faith and trust in Christ? Or are we going to kind of panic and kind of lose our cool? And I don't know about you, but that has really been sticking with me. Has that been sticking with some of you? Yeah, man, that word is deep, and I'm still kind of processing and marinating in that, getting all the the juices from that. And we're going to continue as we're going to go from the Sea of Galilee to the ancient city of Jericho. Jericho has got some deep, deep biblical history that we're going to be excavating and uncovering in a little bit. Before we do that, I want to make a quick reminder that in your small groups this week, you will be going to the Pool of Bethesda. And when you are in your small group, we've got some special bonus content. Content that you will not find on Facebook or any of our sermons or social media. This is going to be some great stuff. Pastor, there's a special video from that pool, so you don't want to miss being in a group because it will blow your mind. So don't miss that. It's going to be awesome. So why don't we go ahead and head to the city of Jericho. Let's spin the globe. I'm going to save you guys some money on air miles here, and we are going to fly right into Jericho. We're going to get closer, 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 and here we are. Welcome to Tel Jericho. Tell Jericho is the old city, the original city. It's an archaeological site right now, and what happens is that Jesus is way up there in the Sea of Galilee, and he walks 45 miles down and he ends up at Jericho but that's not the end of his journey because you see Jesus and his entourage and his crew they'll be taking the road from Tel Jericho all the way down to getting to Jerusalem and that is where Jesus will meet the cross that is his wholehearted focus that's his agenda but while he's there he stops at Jericho now this is Jericho today This is actually back here, the actual archaeological site where the old city is. I think the walls of Jericho are underneath. Jericho is known as the Palm Springs of the ancient world because it's known for the palm trees. If you go there today, it's a city in the West Bank. It's got all these open markets like Morocco or Marrakesh, uh, very colorful. And there is an underground spring that feeds all the water. That's why it's so lush and, and beautiful. But it's a happening city. There's a lot of incredible things going on there. And then you have, of course, the area, the ruins, of where Jericho was. In fact, this was the place where Joshua and the the people of Israel crossed into the promised land and they encountered the city of Jericho with its high walls and they walked around the city and they blew trumpets and the walls came tumbling down. In fact, we see Jericho in the Old Testament, but we also see Jericho in the New Testament as well. It's actually the beginning of the Jericho Road. And right back here, you can see the Jericho Road. It kind of winds up and around. It's kind of got these these really, uh, really high cliff faces here. And what you notice is there's all these little caves, there's all these little nooks and crannies, and robbers and revolutionaries would make their base on the Jericho Road. In fact, it's the only road from where you can go from Jericho to Jerusalem. And actually, it's kind of famous because one of Jesus' most famous stories takes place here, the story of the Good Samaritan. This is the road the Good Samaritan was going on, where he gets hijacked by robbers. In fact, this is the road that Jesus is about to embark on on his way to Jerusalem. You know, Pastor Tim had the opportunity to go to Jericho and to actually be at the Jericho Road. I want to show you a quick clip of Pastor Tim there where he's going to introduce two very important characters that we need to be aware of.
1: Check this out. Hey guys, I'm in the city of Jericho. It is the oldest city in the world, over 8,000 years old. It was significant in the Bible for two reasons. Jesus met a beggar named Bartimaeus, blind Bartimaeus. He said, uh, Son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus reached out and gave him his sight back. But the second, probably most popular Bible story is the story of Zacchaeus. Do you remember what kind of tree he climbed to see Jesus? How about a sycamore tree? That's an ancient sycamore tree here in the city of Jericho. And Zacchaeus was a tax collector, and he wanted to get a view of Jesus and the throngs around him. And so he climbed that tree and Jesus said, Zacchaeus, come down, I'm going to your house today. And from then on, Zacchaeus' life was changed. He met Jesus, he gave back anything he had cheated anybody and lived a life of radical grace and generosity. Jesus changes lives right here in Jericho.
0: And it's in Jericho we meet these two men. We meet blind Bart, who's begging at the side of the road, who is a victim of the system, living in poverty. And then you have Zacchaeus, who is wealthy. He's living large. He is benefiting from this system. Two men in the same zip code, but living in very different worlds. And yet both of them need the same Savior. And they encounter Jesus, and everything changes for both of them. We're going to see how these two men encounter Jesus and how we also need to encounter Jesus as well. So i me to go ahead and jump in. We're going to go to Mark chapter 10. If you have our Liquid Church app, you'll find all of our notes in there, uh, and you can follow along with the scriptures there as well. Or you can open up your Bible to Mark chapter 10 as we look at the story of Blind Bartimaeus. Now, Blind Bart, it's, it's a f- fascinating story about how Jesus, when him and his crew, they get to Jericho, and that's where they encounter him. So let's go ahead and start reading verse 46. It says this, Then they came to Jericho. And as Jesus and his disciples together with a large crowd were leaving the city, a blind man, Bartimaeus, was sitting by the roadside begging. So I want you to get this picture. They are literally at the gates of Jericho Road getting ready to leave. In fact, here's a picture of the area where the road starts at Jericho on its way to Jerusalem. Remember, Jesus has an agenda, he's got something to be, he's got somewhere to be, he's got to be in Jerusalem. And when he, that's Bartimaeus, heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to shout, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Many rebuked him and told him, be quiet. But he shouted all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. All right, let me kind of show you what's going on here. So you have Jesus, and he's got this whole entourage of people, right? And his disciples have got this clipboard out. And they're like, all right, Jesus, you've got a lot to do. You know, we've got to go meet the mayor. Uh, there's a target opening up, and you've got to cut the ribbon. So we've got to keep moving, Jesus. We don't have time. And so the, all this crowd is with him, and they're hustling and bustling. And Bartimaeus is just kind of sitting there. And he's kind of, you know, he can't see, and he's hearing all this commotion, and he's probably getting knocked, knocked around. And he's going, what's going on? What's going on? And then they say... Jesus is here. Jesus of Nazareth has come. And then blind Bart loses his mind. He says, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Have mercy on me, Jesus, Jesus. And he's screaming and he's crying out. And the disciples are like, shh, shh, dude, shut up. The master, he doesn't have time for you. He's got more important things to do. And get out of the way. They, they knock him around, but he doesn't care. He's got nothing to lose. He's like, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Have mercy on me. And as this commotion is getting louder and louder, Jesus stopped. You know, Jesus has a history of noticing the ignored and the insignificant. So he stopped and he said, call him. So they called to the blind man and said, cheer up on your feet. He's calling you. So the guy that everyone's trying to shut down, Jesus is like, this guy is my agenda. And so it says, throwing his cloak aside, he jumped up to his feet and came to Jesus. Jesus made it all about him in that moment. The crowd that was trying to silence him is now celebrating him. And so Jesus looks at him and says, what do you want me to do for you? And I always go, well, duh, Jesus. I mean, he's blind. What do, you, what do you think he wants? You know? You know, why does Jesus ask this question? Well, because Jesus wants to hear us tell him what we desire. He, he, he wants, he's like, I know what you need. I want you to say it. I want you to own it. And so he asks blind Bart, Bart, what is it you want me to do for you? And he says, you know, this is the guy, who remember, who who is sitting at the gates asking people for money as they leave. And he goes, Rabbi, I don't want money. I don't want stuff. I want to see. Rabbi, I want to see. And look how Jesus responds to him. He says this. He says, go. Your, what is this word, church? Faith Faith has healed you. And immediately he received his sight and he followed Jesus along the road. So here we have our God of miracles, not just doing one miracle, but he did two. He not only did he restore blind Bartimaeus' sight, but he also restored him to the community. Because he says he joins the Jesus parade and he goes along with him. You know, we, we read these accounts of how God heals his people according to their faith. And, and for some of us it can be really encouraging. Especially last week when Pastor Tim talked about the definition of faith, that faith is believing what hasn't happened will come true. And here we see Bart, who's on this road begging. And all of a sudden things change. But I want to call something out here. Because maybe a story like this can actually discourage you rather than encourage you. Maybe a series called God of Miracles actually is kind of disappointing. Because you have a breakthrough that you need. There is a miracle that you are crying out for. And it doesn't seem like God is hearing you or God is meeting you in that place. Maybe you were here with us a couple weeks ago at worship night. We were talking about Leah Hansen who a year ago was paralyzed and she walked across the stage after she experienced healing from God. Or you think about the story of Jordan, who was experiencing cancer and who experienced um, issues with her heart that God was healing, and you're like, God, where's, where's my healing? Where's my breakthrough? Where's my miracle? Have you forgotten about me? Can you even hear me? Do you even care? And, and I look to, to blind Bartimaeus here. You know, Who knows how long blind Bart was here? Was he born blind and never able to see the world in 3D technicolor? Did he have his sight and then did he lose it? Was he sitting in this spot begging for 20, 30, 40 years? Was he just losing hope and and losing faith as he was living in poverty and squalor? You know, maybe you're not living in financial poverty, but maybe you're experiencing a poverty of faith. Maybe you're experiencing a poverty of hope where you just feel like you're all tapped out and you've got nothing left. And it's easy for us to be in those moments and wonder, will God ever meet our needs? You know, it's interesting, you know, that for blind Bartimaeus, who knows how long he's been in this spot but when he hears that Jesus calls him, he does something interesting. This actually shows that there was a spark of faith. There was a little bit of something in there that Jesus saw and went after. You see, Blind Bart probably as a beggar on the Jericho Road had his cloak laid out. And, on, and he probably was, was begging and people would throw money or food. And what he would do? He'd, he'd grab all those things and he'd put them up and that would be how he'd support himself. You know what's the first thing he does when he hears Jesus calls him? He throws aside his cape. He throws aside his cloak. He says, you know what? I don't know what Jesus is going to do, but he's going to do something miraculous. I know that things with Christ are going to be better than they were before, so I am going to trust him. I am going to pursue him. And so that with that little bit of faith, Jesus is able to say, go, your faith has made you well. See, the kind of faith that, that blind Bart is showing, it's this courageous kind of faith. Remember, the crowd is shutting him down. They're telling him to be quiet. They're telling him there's no hope. They're telling him that you're not important enough. But he's saying, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. He's not letting the crowd shut him down. He's not letting the crowd keep him silent. He's keeping on, and he's keeping on, and he's keeping on. He can't stop, and he won't stop. See, the kind of faith... That blind Bart has is courageous faith, which is persistent faith. It's the faith that says, I'm going to push through the financial difficulty and believe that God is my provider, even though my situations and circumstances don't seem to indicate it. It's the kind of faith that says, even though I'm going through this nasty divorce, I know that Jesus is my redeemer, my healer, my restorer, so I'm going to look to him for hope and healing. It's the kind of faith that says, I'm going to push through the pain and the disappointment that my kids aren't following the Lord anymore, and they are walking away from me, but I know that my God is still at work in this situation as long as there's breath in my lungs. That's the God of miracles we serve. Can I get an amen, church? Come on. You know, one of the things that we are, you know, this is a, a phenomenal series because I feel like for many of us, our faith is being stretched. You know, the first uh, th- or the first or second week here, we actually had a healing service. We, we, sh- we ended the preaching early so we could invite people to come forward for prayer. And then we did an entire worship and healing night where we invite people to come for prayer. And I remember I was praying for a woman. Her name was Nicole. And she said, Pastor, could you pray for me? Uh, in my right eye, my, my retina's detached. I haven't been able to see for a number of years. I just want Jesus to heal me. And so we prayed for her. And as we were praying, we, we sensed the Holy Spirit was in the room and he was, he was there and, and he was, you know, clearly he was filling her and he was touching her. And, and afterwards, I said, let me ask you this. Like, you know, did you sense anything when we prayed? She goes, yeah, I felt the Lord was saying that he was with me. And then I asked her, On a scale from 1 to ten, one being nothing, 10 being complete healing, uh, where are you in that spectrum? If I'm honest, I'm a 1. But you know what? I'm not going to be discouraged. I'm just going to come back on Sunday and get more prayer. I'm just going to come back again and again and again. I'm going to ask. I'm going to seek. I'm going to knock. I'm going to keep going until I get my breakthrough or until the Lord tells me to stop praying. But I am not going to stop. And when she said that, I felt like my faith was encouraged because she was showing courageous, persistent faith that says, I'm not going to stop. Even if I don't see a change in my situation or a change in my circumstance, God's doing something at a deeper level and it just hasn't come to the surface yet. And so I'm going to keep believing and keep fighting and keep moving forward. Give your God a praise. Come on. Our God is good. And let me just say, at all of our services, We always offer prayer. It's not just for special occasions. Every service, we have a prayer team that's here and they're here to pray for you. And if you're here today and going, Nathan, I'm tapped out on faith. I've got nothing left. I've been praying and praying praying. I'm not seeing anything. I don't know what else to do. I don't have enough faith. Well, come and borrow ours. We will borrow. We will give you the faith that we have. That's what's so great about the body of Christ. When you come in and you don't have the faith, others do and they will pray for you. They will encourage you. Our prayer teams will stand with you in faith even if you don't have any because we know that we have a God who can do miraculous things with a little bit of faith that we give him. And that's how Jesus ministered to this man, Blind Bart, at the gates. This man who was poor and kind of the victim of the system. But you know, one of the things about Jesus is, he, he is he's great with everybody. And while he can connect with people at the lower end of the fringe, he also connects with people at the upper edge of the fringe. And that's where he meets this man called Zacchaeus. You guys, you guys remember Zacchaeus as a kid? How, you guys remember the song? Zacchaeus was a, everybody, a wee little man and a wee little man was he. He climbed up on a sycamore tree for the Lord he wanted to see. Give yourselves a hand. All right. You know, the 80s and the 90s were the best when it came to Sunday school songs, you know. And so, you know, Zacchaeus is this guy, you know, he's this wee little man, but if we actually look at scripture, he's actually a wicked man. All he cares about is consolidating money and power and greed. That's really all he cares about. And so this is how we are introduced to him. This is how Luke sets it up. It says this, a man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. So we don't know too much about Zacchaeus here, but we know that he's a tax collector. Now, maybe some of you, if you've read the Bible, you're like, dude, what is the deal with tax collectors? Like it's always the prostitutes and the tax collectors. It's the sinners and the tax collectors, right? (laughs) And like, I get it, like tax days next week, no one likes the IRS, you know, no one likes to pay taxes. But man, it's like, there's like a whole nother level of animosity that's there. We, We gotta understand what's going on in the first century. Israel is being occupied by a foreign power, Rome. Rome's goal is to take over the world. One of the things they do to actually discourage the people that are there, you know what they'll do? Is they'll put all these really heavy taxes on them. So they don't have any money. So, so they've, the Jews have all these heavy taxes on them. And, not, and those taxes are going to actually pay for Roman expansion. So Rome can go and do that to other places. Not only that, their money is going to a pagan government to a system that is oppressing them and systematically annihilating them. So there's almost like this disloyalty to God when they pay their taxes. And you guys remember a couple of weeks ago we talked about the rebels versus the Romans? Like uh, there, there's this whole Jewish splinter group that's ready to go to war against the, the Romans. And the Romans are like, listen, we have enough issues as it is. We need to find a better way to do it. And so rather than they themselves going to get the taxes, you know what they do? They hire Jewish men to go to their friends and their neighbors to collect taxes for them. So again, not great if you're a tax collector. You're seen as a traitor. You're seen as uh, unclean, hated by God, working with the enemy. Like you are not a welcome sight. And so you imagine Zacchaeus going door to door, knocking. You go to your door, you open up, and you see a guy there, probably with the same height as like a Kevin Hart, you know, like somewhere here. Or maybe Danny DeVito, you know, somewhere, you know, they're short, right? And they're looking at you going, all right, it's time to pay up. Come on, pay up. That, no, come on, more, more. That, that's it. No, no, you got to give me some more. You got to give me some more. And you're like, I'm not going to pay this guy. You're about to slam the door and you look over his shoulder, not hard to do. And you see <laughs> that there's these two giant guards behind him. And you're like, this is a politically sanctioned shakedown. That's what's going down here. See, what a tax collector would do is say Rome wa- wanted 100 bucks from you, the tax collector would take 300. And he would keep the 200, give Rome the 100. Now, what was Zacchaeus' job? He was the what? The chief tax collector. So he ran the whole operation. And so he would take a cut of the cut that everyone else took. So he was doubly hated. And so, this is who Zacchaeus is. He's getting rich off everyone else. And he's got all this wealth, he's got all this power, he's got all this money, and he's consolidating it all. But the problem is, it's not enough. He knows there's something missing. And we know because look what he says here. He says he wanted to see who Jesus was. But because he was short, he could not see over the crowd. So, he knows Zacchaeus, he's shorty by nature, right? Again, you know, he's, he's like vertically challenged, but he wants to see Jesus. And he, if he can't, he wants to try to avoid the crowd because he's not well-liked in Jericho. No one likes him. Uh, if they could, they'd probably kill him, but he's got his bodyguard with him. So he does something a little crazy, a little undignified. Maybe you could even say it's a little courageous. It says that he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him since Jesus was coming that way. So Zacchaeus, who's this rich, wealthy Jewish man, does two things that rich, wealthy Jewish men don't do. The first is he has a foot race with the crowd, right? So he's racing the crowd. He's trying to, like, beat them to get, to get in front of them. So he gets in front of them, which, you know, if you're a dignified, rich, wealthy Jewish man, you don't run. That's just not what you do. And then he climbs up this tree, and he gets there. Again, something that you don't do if you're a man of that kind of stature. He's doing something a little undignified, a little crazy, a little courageous. And he gets up there on this sycamore tree. You guys remember Pastor Tim talked about the sycamore tree in his video? So the thing about this sycamore tree to be aware of is it's in the center of town. So everyone knows about this tree. Now in Israel, everything is maybe is, is pretty squat, right? Like in terms of like uh, plant life. Like you have olive trees, they're like 15 feet. But the sycamore tree is about 100 feet. It's the tallest thing in that entire area, in that entire city. And so Zacchaeus knows if he wants to get a good view of Jesus, one, Jesus is going to have to go through the center of town. He's got to get on this tree. So he climbs up this tree because it's the best way you can get a great aerial shot of the whole area. But there's another reason. Zacchaeus doesn't want to be seen by the crowd. He doesn't have his bodyguards with him. If the crowd sees him, they're going to tear him apart. And he knows that. So he's in this spot, and I think he's feeling pretty good. He's like, I can see Jesus. No one can see me. I'm going to get a glimpse of who this guy is, this God of miracles that everyone's talking about. And so sure enough, Jesus is with his entourage. They get to the center of town. No one notices him except the one guy who always notices things. So when Jesus reached the spot, he looked up, and he said, Zach, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So he came down and at once and welcomed him gladly. So I want you to imagine this scene, right? Like this whole crowd is there, you know, Jesus and his disciples, they got their clipboards back out again. And they're like, all right, I think we can still make the target opening, Jesus. And so they're they're pushing Jesus through and he's going, he's going. And then again, Jesus stops. Again, he stops. And he looks over and goes, Zacchaeus! Zacchaeus, come down. Come down. I'm going to have lunch at your house. I have to have lunch with you today. Zacchaeus is like, what? You see me? Yes, Jesus, of course, of course. Yeah, right away, Jesus, right away. I will go and make, make, get get things ready, and he's, he's rushing to his house. Again, he's running. Now, Jesus, remember, is this religious rock star of the time, You know, everybody wants to be with Jesus. Everybody wants to be seen with Jesus. Jesus is like at the height of his popularity. And just when you're at the height of of your popularity, he's doing something that you're not supposed to do when you're a celebrity. You're hanging out with the tax collectors. You're hanging out with the worst of the worst. How do you think that made the people feel? Well, it says all the people saw this and they began to mutter, meaning they're complaining. He's like, he's gone to be the guest of a sinner. I mean, if you're in the crowd, imagine that. Would you feel maybe some contempt, maybe disgust? Like this is this is a holy man. Why would he spend time with that guy? Maybe shocked. Maybe betrayed a little bit. You know. You know. We see something like this, and you know, we're so far removed that sometimes we don't really feel the shock of what this could really mean. So let me try to maybe make a connection here. So imagine. If Pope Francis, all of a sudden, uh, gets on an airplane and flies to New York City, and he, he's there Monday, and no one knows why he's there, but like literally everything's shut down, right? Like New York City's been shut down, uh, the Pope's in town, everyone wants to know why, and he has a press conference at Madison Square Garden. So he gets there, and, and one of the reporters asks, Your Holiness, uh, why is it you're here in New York City? This is very sudden. And he says, well, I'm here for one reason, it is I'm here to have lunch, with Bernie Madoff. And maybe the reporter's like, wait, I don't know if I heard you, you mean Bernie Sanders? No, 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 Bernie Madoff. What? Yeah, I, I heard he's incarcerated here. Is that, is that true? I, I want to spend lunch with, with him. See, Bernie Madoff, back in 2009, pled guilty to 11 federal counts of using his wealth management company as a Ponzi scheme. He stole $65 billion From people he stole people's retirement he stole people's college funds for their kids he ripped off he ripped off guys like eli wiesel a holocaust survivor he did this for decades didn't even think about it like you talk about cold-hearted you talk about evil and now the pope he's left the vatican and like all these nuns and all these faithful catholics who want to go see him who've kind of stuck with the church no matter how bad things have gotten Uh, political leaders want to see him or meet with him and he's ignoring all of them. He's kind of pushing past them and even like reporters, they want to quote, they're like, hey, listen, we'd like to talk to you about this. He pushes past them. He goes, no, 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 I'm here for one reason and one reason only. I'm here to spend the weekend with Bernie. That's it. (laughs) Everyone 35 and up is like, yeah, I get that. (laughs) 20-year-olds are like, what? (laughs) I'll put something on Facebook later for you. But you, you got to understand how shocking this was for people. I mean, how, sh- how would you feel if, if you knew that was happening? I mean, probably a little bit of contempt. Like, wait a minute. Like, he's passing by all of the people who are faithful, the people who supported him. He's passing by all of them so he could extend a hand of friendship to this guy after all the pain and all the damage that he's done. You see, what is happening with Zacchaeus and Jesus is we're getting a preview of why Jesus came because Jesus remember he's stopping in Jericho on his way to Jerusalem where there is another tree waiting for him and it's not a sycamore tree where we find Zacchaeus but it's a cross and that is where we see something interesting happening in the story of Zacchaeus because remember before everyone loved Jesus Jesus is awesome But now he's hanging out with Zacchaeus. And all of the hatred and the venom and the vitriol that people had for Zacchaeus, they now take all of that and they put it on Jesus. And Jesus becomes guilty by associating with Zacchaeus. But you know what happens to Zacchaeus? He receives grace by association with Jesus. There's an exchange that happens. And it doesn't just happen with Zacchaeus, it happens with us. You see, Jesus takes all of our guilt away, all of our shame away, all of the evil that we've done. He takes all of it and takes it on himself. And you know what he gives us? He gives us his perfection. He gives us his holiness. He erases our guilt. He erases our shame. And he makes us right with God. And we're acceptable to God. See, there's a word for this exchange. And that word is justification. And there's two sides to justification. The first side is it means just as if I've never sinned, and the other side is just as if I always obeyed. You see, Zacchaeus, for the first time, is realizing that he has been radically accepted by Jesus, loved by Jesus, and he was pursued by Jesus. Jesus is the one that said, Zacchaeus, come down. We're having lunch. And his response, he stood up and said, Lord, Lord, look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor. And if I've cheated anybody out of anything, I pay back Four times the amount. See, when Zacchaeus has this encounter with Jesus, he repents, he turns away from his life of sin, and he turns to Christ, and he receives this radical generosity. He receives it from Jesus, and he can't help but give it back to everyone else that he comes in connection with. See, this is the beauty of the good news that Jesus brings, or the gospel. He brings us this idea of repentance, which really is these two points, which means this. Repentance means that you know, we, live, you know, we, ha- we have sin on one side, right? which is just kind of our, our state of being, and then we have the cross, what Jesus did on this side. And if we continue to live for our own desires, for our own sinful inclinations, without Christ, we move to a place of judgment and separation from God. But if we turn away from that way of living, and if we embrace Jesus with our heart, soul, mind, and strength, he gives us eternal life, he gives us forgiveness, he shows us our purpose for being on this world. And, and when we experience repentance, there's something that happens. We're transformed from the inside out. We can't help but want to make things right, the things that we've done wrong before. It's called restitution. We want to make amends, all the ways that we ripped people off. I mean, that's what Zacchaeus is doing. He's making amends. He's like, listen, I know I took your 401k. Here, you can have it back, plus some. Listen, I know I took your kid's college fund, but here, you can have this, and now they can afford to go to Harvard. You know, I I took your livelihood away, and now I want to give it back. You don't ever have to work again. And he's not doing this out of duty, but he's doing it out of delight because of what Jesus did for him on the cross. Because he knows the radical acceptance of Christ, there is a new joy. He's like, I don't have to do this. I get to do this. God has radically forgiven me and embraced me and received me. I can't help but give it away now. That's the radical grace of God. Give him a praise. If I could sum it up, there's this equation that Pastor Tim shared years ago. It's repentance plus restitution equals rejoicing. There's just something that happens when Jesus transforms us from the inside out. The things that maybe before we were like, I don't know if I'd want to do that, it changes us because we're inspired by Jesus' generosity. Jesus' generosity literally changes us from the inside out. But I want to make something very, very clear here restitution, it's not penance, it's not paying your way so that God will like you, it's not uh, karma. Where, you know, if I do enough good deeds, it'll outweigh my bad deeds. Because the truth of the matter is, Jesus radically accepts us if we just turn to him and return to him. Because, I mean, look at Zacchaeus. At this point, what did Zacchaeus do? You see, for him, Jesus forgave him and gave him eternal life. He gave him salvation. I love how Jesus put it. In Luke 19, he says, Jesus said, today, salvation has come to this house. What did Zac do? Nothing. At that point, he hadn't even changed his behavior yet. But Jesus saw him, and he saw him exhibit that that desire for Jesus. And Jesus received him and accepted him. Can I ask, has Jesus' generosity inspired you? Maybe for some of you, it's owning the dysfunction in a relationship, or maybe owning your your part in the divorce because you realize that, you know, I'm not perfect But, you know, I can bring, but God can bring peace to this relationship, maybe even restoration. So I'm going to own my part. Or maybe knowing that God has forgiven you and has taken away your guilt and your sin and your shame, it's just, it just blows you away. And you're like, I need to respond in a radical, generous way. I need to give my time so I can serve. I need to give my money so God's kingdom can expand. I need to tithe because look how God has given to me and I want to give back. Or maybe it's going to someone that works for you and you know that you've hurt them and you need to ask them for forgiveness, even though it kind of messes up with the power balance there, but it doesn't matter because you've experienced radical forgiveness and how can you not make amends and ask others to forgive you or even forgive others? You know, Bartimaeus, Zacchaeus, two different guys, two different experiences, but they both exhibited this courageous faith. This, this persistent faith that said, I can't stop and I won't stop. I need Jesus. I don't care what I got to do to get to him. I, I'm going to bring him my health issues. I'm going to bring to him my struggles with my, with my kids or with my situations, my circumstances, whatever it is, I need to bring it to Jesus. They didn't let the crowd silence them or shame them. They kept moving forward. So can I ask you, what voices do you need to push past so that you can get to Jesus? What situations and circumstances just seem so big, seem so overwhelming, just seem like they're beyond your scope, that Jesus is saying, bring them to me. Bring them to me. It doesn't matter how big you think they are, how small you think they are. Bring them to me. 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 That's the radical faith, the courageous faith, the persistent faith that these two men from different worlds both exhibited. Did you resonate with one of these guys? Whether it was Bart or Zach? Maybe some of you are here today and and you're kind of like blind Bartimaeus. Maybe you're just kind of struggling, trying to make ends meet. You're paying your groceries with food stamps and you're wondering, does Jesus hear me? Is he there? And he sees you. And he's with you. Or maybe you're trying to stretch every dollar To cover your budget and you're still struggling and you're not sure how God's going to meet your needs but one of his names is Jehovah Jireh, my provider and Jesus says "Do you, trust me I am with you, you're not alone maybe you're watching this and you're uncertain about the future, maybe you're undocumented you're you're not sure what's going to happen next but your God sees you he hasn't forgotten you in fact he has a question for you he says what do you want me to do for you? See, when we're in this posture before God, he wants us to look to the cross and he says, bring it to me. What do you want me to do for you? I've died for you. I've given you eternal life, but I'm still at work in your life. I'm not done with you. And tell him. Or or maybe you're like Zacchaeus. You know, Jesus went up on a tree so Zacchaeus could come down from the tree. And he wants to restore your life and maybe you feel like you know you're on the other end of things you know you're you're wealthy you've got it all you've got power you've got privilege but it seems so empty you're working 80 90 hours a week and your your family's suffering and your health suffering i just want you to know that jesus is with you he loves and accepts you no matter what or maybe you're kind of climbing up the the corporate ladder and things are going great you're getting wealthier and wealthier you're hitting all your goals But it feels hollow. It feels empty. And Jesus says, I know what you're missing. I'm the missing piece. Because you can gain the whole world, but lose your soul. So Jesus has a question for you. He's like, can we get lunch? Can you maybe take a break and stop and I'll come over? Salvation is coming to your house today. You know, it's funny because I don't think Jesus or any of the disciples knew that Jesus had something to do in Jericho. Remember, he, they're passing through and they're on their way to Jerusalem. Next week, Pastor Tim's going to walk us through the walk that Jesus took through Jerusalem. But he stops in Jericho and he, he makes these stops that seem unplanned. But he pauses and he notices these two men from different worlds one rich, one poor, but both needed a Savior. Because here's the reality. It doesn't matter if you're rich or poor. It doesn't matter what your ethnicity is, what your cultural background is. It doesn't matter if you're gay or straight. Jesus says, come to me. The invitation is open. Come to me. I am the one who will fill your deepest, deepest needs. Come to me. Come to me. Because today salvation is moving in. Then if you need salvation to move into your home today, Do you need a fresh touch from your Savior today? Here's where I want to move for us right now. I get the sense that for some of you, you've never started a relationship with Jesus. You know, one of the things that enabled Zacchaeus to kind of make things right with with everyone around him was he had a right relationship with Christ. I want to invite you to get that right relationship with Jesus, where he transforms your heart, he changes you from the inside out. So here's what we're going to do across all of our campuses. We're going to say a prayer together out loud. I'll lead us in it. There's nothing magical about the prayer, but I just want to give you some words to articulate what God is doing in your heart as a way to say, all right, God, I'm with you. In fact, I want to have all of us say this together, and here's why. I think we all need a reminder that the gospel that saved us is also the gospel that maintains us we still need a fresh touch from Jesus. Amen? Amen. Let's all stand across all of our campuses. Hold out your hands. Whether you have faith today or you have no faith today, it's okay. If you have no faith today, you can borrow your neighbors. Just repeat these words. Pray these words with me. Lord Jesus, Jesus. I admit that I'm a sinner sinner. and and I need a Savior. Thank you for the cross. For dying for my sins, taking my shame and guilt, and giving me your perfection. I follow you. I keep my life to you. For you are God and you are good. In Jesus' name. Amen. Let's welcome brothers and sisters.